Hello everyone, welcome to Social Work Stories. I'm Mim Fox and I am here joined by my wonderful co-host Liz Murphy. Hello Liz. Hello, hello everyone. Liz, I'm going to jump straight into it tonight. Please do. We have a social work story to share by a community social worker and we've done a lot of clinical stories on this podcast. What I love about tonight's story is that it's focusing on the practice that as social workers we undertake when we work in the community sector. This is a story about an inner city non-government organisation and uh, one which works with disenfranchised young people, often with mental health issues, uh, school attendance issues, a really diverse population, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And it's also a story of another new to social work, social worker, who I believe is about two years out. And it's a story about her work with a young man who is in high school or hasn't been in high school, more to the point, hasn't been attending. That's right. Has some possible mental health issues and has also stopped talking for about a year. Yes. And the story is about how she engages with this young man. Uh, and you wanted people to particularly listen out for some things, I mean, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited listening to this social worker because social worker students and experienced practitioners often feel challenged about how to speak about theory. Often there's the tendency to think that if we don't name the theorist, that we're actually not uh, using theory in our practice. What this social worker does so beautifully and seamlessly is... is that they weave theory into every single intervention that they're describing. So I really want our listeners to pay attention. It's almost a test. How many theories do you think that you can hear being described as you listen to this story? Uh, The way she does it is so seamless that it's highly likely you won't even realise that she's discussing theory as she goes along. Okay. The challenge is set. It's throwing down the gauntlet. Let's go. way that we do our referrals is through schools because we operate on a joint enrolment. So this young person was referred to us by a local school uh, because they were not engaging at all. I think their attendance rate was below 12%. So they had really low engagement with schools um, and when they were at school there was no problem behaviours in terms of yelling in class or anything like that but um, just total disengagement. So previous to coming to our program the young person hadn't spoken for a year and a half Um, in public or at home so they had serious mental health that was going untreated so the referral was because of their poor attendance um, and that's how they came to our program. Um, When he first walked through the door it was head and eyes facing the ground Um, there was absolutely no eye contact not a peep out of uh, the young person. He came with dad and um, dad uh, is a migrant to Australia so his English um, wasn't fantastic but um, he was super keen for his son to come. Um, he and his wife owned a restaurant so they worked long hours. They weren't fully involved in his schooling beforehand but they were happy to um, see it resolved. So he came and he looked at the space. Um, our space is quite sporty so it can be really intimidating for a young person to come into the space especially if they are shy. Um, there's a lot of loud noises, there's weightlifting, there's basketball, there's jiu-jitsu, there's boxing. So um, he came into the space 
um, and we conducted an interview, so an intake interview, asked a lot of stuff around why school isn't working for them currently, um, stuff about mental health. Um, which were obviously the big things that weren't working for him at the time. He also had huge self-confidence issues. There was, and his school confirmed this as well, some undiagnosed learning difficulties. So really, really poor literacy and really poor numeracy. And that could have been a combination of things from his undiagnosed condition, but it could also have been from his lack of attendance, so falling behind. He also, his language skills weren't fantastic either whether that was the confidence at first or the language barrier. Um, Yeah, and there were other signs of self-harm as well. So again, with the mental health. So from 9.30 till 3.30, the young people come. Um, In the mornings, if they haven't eaten, they can eat. And that was a big problem with this young person because they would come to school without any food. And because mom and dad were running their restaurant, they were away from the house a lot. So he had really poor living school skills in terms of cooking um, and time management. So he was going for long periods of time without eating and then binge eating. And that was quite obvious with his poor hygiene and his poor health. And also he was um, significantly overweight. So in the mornings, we'd really encourage him to come in and eat a healthy breakfast to try and get that eating throughout the whole day rather than the binging at night time. Um, then he'd come in and we'd do either literacy or mathematics. And at the very beginning, that would involve quite intensive one-on-one support. So from reading to writing to basic numeracy. Then we would also have recess and lunch where the eating again was enforced. But it was also socialising for this young person. So trying to get them involved with the other young people as well in talking or conversation. Um, We also did uh, music and art and this young person really took to piano and he wanted to learn piano. Um, He described it as thinking that it was beautiful and that he could express his emotions that way. So that was a real big, you know, thing for us to discover that he had an interest in music because for us, this really quiet person who suddenly wanted to make noise through a different way was really interesting for us. In the beginning of the year, his engagement was quite poor. So the space is quite a loud space. um, And I think he was quite overwhelmed in the very beginning. Um, His engagement was also quite poor because of poor health. So because his parents weren't at home and he wasn't eating the right nutrients, he was getting quite sick quite frequently. Um, And that was quite obvious because he would actually come to school and he would be really sick. So it wasn't trying not to engage. He was just quite unwell quite often. And through, you know, cultural barriers as well, his understanding of illness and his understanding of sickness was quite poor. So even with his mental health, he found it difficult to link, you know, feeling unwell in the stomach to you know feeling nervous or feeling anxious and those feelings around the space so it took quite a long time for us to talk to him about you know how you're feeling and how you are emotionally quite connected Um, so we did a lot of stuff around that part of our program is the right journey so it's implemented across a range of schools but we uh, do it here at our program a little bit differently so the right journey is personal development Um, So we talk about a lot of things, how you interact with others, how you see yourself, um, how you fit into your family and wider society. So I think that was a key component for this young person because they had a space where they were required to talk and reflect. And um, this young person was a super good reflector. I think that's kind of why he was so silent all the time is because he was thinking and reflecting on everything, but not, you know, verbalizing it outward. So this program was really, really 
effective for him to feel heard by other people in a space that was quite controlled. Um, And that's where we saw huge improvements. So part of the right journey is you do different right tasks. So some of those included like a challenge. So we've climbed the Harbour Bridge and we also did like an ice bath challenge. So the Harbour Bridge was a big one because he kind of took a leadership role in that. Whereas some of the kids who were more vocal or more, you know, rambunctious got quite nervous when it came to the Harbour Bridge climb. Whereas this young person really like took it in his stride, was the first up there. So that was a really, really good, um, really good intervention and a good turning point. Um, With the ice bath challenge, a lot of it focused on, you know, willpower and using your breathing and um, self-relaxation techniques, which uh, this young person quite liked. And he was in the ice bath for the longest. So that was really good as well, especially around issues of self-confidence where he was able to, you know, strip down into his board shorts and jump in the water with the rest of the boys. Um, That was a really, really good turning point for him as well. In terms of his self-confidence and his eye contact, we really made a big issue of sitting down one-on-one with him and making eye contact. Uh, Modelling the behaviours for the young person was super important. Another key intervention we used was the life skills, so around cooking, sleeping and budgeting. Um, So this young person, because they had a family where people were coming and going and they lived in quite a small uh, living space, there was a lot of issues around his sleep and his sleep being disturbed. Um, So a lot of information around the sleep hygiene, around sugar, around what that does to the adolescent brain. All of that sort of psychoeducation was super important with this young person. In that same strain, some of the stuff we did around, you know, thinking about a fixed versus a growth mindset. So this young person, and with a lot of young people, a lot of their uh, issues are determined by factors they can't control. So for this young person, it was, you know, their mental health and then their family situation, um, how they felt when they were in schools, which was another uncontrollable environment, um, can make them feel like, you know, this doesn't work you know, that really negative mindset. Whereas when you're looking at it from a growth mindset, it's like, you know, how can I make this work? What can I try differently? What can I do differently? And that was something that we worked on throughout the second half of the year when this young person was becoming more vocal and engaged with us. And that was really beneficial. So in the very beginning of the program, um, their engagement with us was probably sitting around 70%. Um, It sounds high but when you figure it's only three days a week that kind of ends up looking like two out of three days every so often which isn't ideal Uh, so in terms of going to school on the Mondays and Fridays this young person was not engaged at all which was concerning for us given that they were so young and they were so vulnerable if they weren't engaged in the education system given their learning difficulties and given um, their maturity and their self-confidence the school environment in a safe school environment was really the best place for this young person to be. So throughout the year we worked on, um, you know, not making it a goal for us, but trying to make it a goal for the young person, for them to be engaging back in school. So at about the last term mark, we were trying to engage the young person in school on Mondays and Fridays. And again, this still wasn't working because it was quite daunting for the young person to get on the bus on their own, go to school in an environment they didn't know and come back. So we jigged the plan a little bit and we did it so that on Wednesdays the young person would come and in the morning we would drive them to school and they would stay for a half day and then we would drive them back here and they could debrief the afternoon in an art session here with all the other young people. 
And that worked really well because the young person still felt supported and they didn't feel like it was school because they could do both. And another big part of that was introducing, you know, some um, of those own self-reflection techniques. So we got this young person a journal and we started to do some journaling with him, um, which he really, really took to. So stuff like pros and cons lists. This young person really struggled with like the gravity of making decisions, which is completely understandable um, given his context. So with the pros and cons list around going back to school, for example, it meant that we could really identify what his fears around it were and break that down. So in the end of it, some of those fears were around, I'm worried about getting on the bus because that's where some of his previous bullying had taken place. So we worked out that instead of getting the bus, he could walk to the train station and get the train, which even though you would think it was the same, it's just that change of mindset was quite helpful for him. And he did end up going back to school at the end of the year, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, throughout the whole year, if you asked him, he would have said, no, not going back to school, but he, he fully did. He went back to school and um, he did really, really well. Liz, what I was really loving about that story was what we heard was this social worker actually working through a holistic assessment with this young person. She stepped us through her assessment itself, which looked at all aspects of his psychosocial world, right? And then she walked us through the various interventions that she used, but they weren't just simply interventions. Because it was a community context, they were actually all grounded, grounded in activities, mm. which is different to the clinical context. So in the community context, often you'll find that your client is now going to participate in a certain class or being involved in a sporting program or you're in an after-school after care setting for example, any of these number of activities that happen in life become an opportunity for an intervention. And an intervention that's tailored around this young person. Yeah. This young person's circumstance, this young person's health, um, their interests. That's right. I really enjoyed her creativity in... Um, I guess, yeah, the way in which she tailored this to this young person. I think the key there is that every intervention she used was purposeful. Mm. So sometimes when a social work student goes to a placement at a community organisation, they get a bit confused about where the social work is. And often that's because there's no social worker working there sometimes. So there's not a social work voice in their ear the whole time saying, now watch for this, watch for that. But the onus is on the student in that context to step outside and look at what on the surface might be a basketball game or might be a cooking program and look at it through the social work lens, look at the values that is actually entrenched in that activity and look at what are the different interventions that could be employed to work directly with a young person around their specific goals. So, for example, this young man had uh, some health issues, including uh, not eating, yes. not sleeping, um, overweight, um, in fact, not understanding how to prepare 
let alone eat healthy That's food. Right. So there was a whole lot of things just going into the thinking behind the food in this and, man's and life. And she, she talked about how lunch became an intervention, yes. right? And I think that's where, when I set the challenge for our listeners to hear the theory, words like psychoeducation, uh, and there were so many examples that came up where she wasn't talking about a specific theorist, but she was talking about a framework or a model that actually grounded her practice. That grounded her practice and also would have a lot of appeal to a young person. So often we can get stuck into the talk theory, uh, the talk therapy. Yes. Whereas what she's done is she's used really creative interventions like the challenges. Yeah. At first when I was listening to them, I was thinking, what? Okay, so this sounds like fun. However, she linked, so for instance, the ice bath challenge for me, form of torture oh that sounds absolutely horrific but she linked it to things like willpower um, relaxation technique breathing and then to have achieved that a sense of achievement but also confidence that then feeds into his building of the self-identity around being able to achieve something that many of us would find quite impossible to do so if we look at this from a social justice lens through a social justice lens we look at issues around social isolation that this young person was experiencing if you take the core of those activities what on the surface might be something quite simple actually at its roots has social connectedness and belonging Mm. which is a social justice practice at its actually fundamental core which makes it the perfect opportunity for social work intervention Yes. And I think that's where the disconnect sometimes happens for students is about being able to find the social work values that are inherent in these activities. And sometimes I think when um, it becomes about the activity itself, the social work student feels like, well, they may as well not be there Mm. because the activity exists in and of itself. What this social worker so beautifully did was showed how she used those activities as an opportunity to build resilience in the young person, to actually build social inclusion and opportunity for connectedness. That connectedness, I would imagine, was also strengthened via her relationship with him. Yeah. And also her, I would imagine, her hosting this with the other young people. So helping them to connect with each other as well through those activities that you describe. But also she talked about the role modelling that went on around social interaction. Possibly um, communication techniques that this young man missed because of his cultural background and because of the absence of his parents and because he wasn't engaging in school. So he, there was nowhere in his life where he was actually getting that. Role modelling is such an interesting part of social work, actually, that we don't often focus on. Uh, I think we often pathologise people for their lack of a role model in their life or their lack of parental figures, their lack of um, consistent teachers or other adults who could have provided that modelling. And then as social workers, we 
we are, are being role models without ever really articulating that, without mm. ever actually making it clear that that's actually a really fundamental social work skill to be able to role model how to have a conversation in a calm, mutually supportive manner mm. or how to, how to speak about your needs in a way that doesn't put down other people's needs. These are, these are skills that social workers working and non-social workers, youth workers, community workers, are using on a daily basis. How to run a community forum that respects a variety of people's needs. Yes. These are really very fundamental skills that we cannot achieve the aims um, of social justice, social inclusion without. Beautifully said, as usual. The other thing that I liked about this was how she attended to the relationship with the young man. And this is why I like some of those slow burn um, agencies, you know, where they actually have the time to really connect and get to know this person in quite a deep way. Yeah. And for instance, I love the way that she saw him light up when he mentioned his interest in learning the piano. Yeah, that was a beautiful moment, wasn't it? You could hear it in her voice. Yeah. So she had a very strong attachment to this young man and the therapeutic value of that for him is immeasurable. Yes. To actually have someone that's attending to him when he had become invisible and mute in his schooling. One of the things that... I really, I learned from this young woman was that even though she was seeing recovery and growth going on for this young man in the context of the program that she was running, she also saw that there were some elements that were not improving for this person. Yeah, she was a little critical of her intervention, wasn't she? Yeah, she just knew that the, one of the main goals was to re-engage him back in school. And yet that was one of the things that was not actually taking place for this young man. And it reminded me of how, as social workers, we can fall into this idea that a person is improving because in the context of us working with them, they are making inroads. Absolutely. If you look at them holistically, often they are. But she kept in mind that end goal. That's right. And I love the way that she supported him through using the service. So that time when they actually took him to school and then picked him up and debriefed back into the agency. So you see that donut of support that went around him. Yeah. And also that problem solving with him through the journaling and the pros and cons and working out a different pathway to the school that made him feel safe. Some really creative problem solving went on for this young person that helped ultimately him re-engage back into the broader community. Yeah, you can sometimes get stuck in your interventions, can't you, where you think this isn't working now, okay, the problem is this really difficult young person and they're not going to be able to move forward. Or alternatively, they're fixed. That's why it's not working. We've uh, solved the problem. Yes. We've solved, but however, what she's done is neither of those things. She's pulled back and she said, I just need to reorientate now, focus back on what he, him and his goals are actually about and find another way, be creative about another form of intervention. And that's when the journaling came in and I think that's, 
actually really crucial to be able to be responsive to your client in that way. And also not build dependency. Yeah. So it was a really, um, I guess, an ethical move to actually then push him outside of that that program and back into re-engaging with school. I actually love that idea that dependency could have been a byproduct mm. of that intervention, especially when you're talking about someone who's working with this young person for a long period of time. Absolutely, a dependent relationship forming between them could absolutely be a byproduct. Yes. Yeah, and something that a, um, a really conscious social worker who's critical of their own practice and reflective about their own practice would absolutely pick up. And Mim, what a lovely way for her to get a sense of the value of, of their work together yeah. to see how happy he he was in his life. Oh, yeah, you can it's imagine like the that chicken moment, chicken soup of the soul kind of stuff. I love it. I know, I know. And I know all the listeners out there who always want a happy ending. They're going to love they that. They got one today. Oh, they got one today. They sure did. Yeah, so that's great. Liz, I have to say I really enjoyed that story. Loved it. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying uh, hearing stories from social workers in really different contexts. Yes. You know, it's really important that we're representing our colleagues and our tribe on this podcast. And it's been fantastic hearing from a lot of social workers in different spaces who are reaching out to us. Yes. Something that has come to my attention is that not all social workers love the limelight, Liz. Uh, <laughs> were you looking at me? No, I guess I am a bit of an extrovert, but you're right. But I will say that there are many of our brothers and sisters out there who do not like to be recorded or have a microphone shoved in their face. It's true. It's true. There have been lots of social workers who've gotten a little scared by that concept. And the reality is that we know that those are the social workers who want? are living, breathing the most interesting, compelling and challenging practice stories. Indeed. So we want to put an invitation out there to everyone. If you're, We're always happy to come and do an old school interview with you. But if you're one of those social workers who is not based in Sydney, Australia, or is one of those shyer creatures, then feel free to reach out to us on Twitter and um, at Social Work Story, or you can get hold of us at Instagram, on Instagram as well, Social Work Stories Pod. And we have an email address, old fashioned, I know, but we do. So you can email us socialworkstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Easy. Please, we can work out another way for you to be getting your stories to us. Those are important stories. We want to have them heard. And uh, we love, absolutely love the dynamic of speaking with you all across the world as well and hearing your thoughts on our episodes. So feel free to write a review, pop us some stars, whatever it is uh, that's your way of reaching out to us. We'd really appreciate it. So we end now. We do. Thank you to Ben Joseph and Justin Stesh, our fabulous producers, to Brenna, our social work student, who is finishing up with us soon, Liz. Yes, that's sad. It's very sad. We we'll miss you, Brenna. Brenna has become part of the Social Work Stories podcast family. And, um, but we will then welcome other social workers into the fold and other social work students into the fold, which is great. So thank you, Liz. Thank you, Mim. 
And thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll um, speak to you next time. Bye.